What's up, Redemption? How you doing? How are you? This is a beautiful week, because you know what? GOC Phase 1 cards have landed. We have players that are opening cards and building decks from Phase 1. What a wonderful time to be alive and be involved with the game of Redemption. But we're not going to be talking about that on this week's episode. We'll be talking about that coming up more than likely on next week's episode once me and Brad crack open our cards from the new set. This week we're going to be having the episode about Redemption Collecting. We're going to be sitting down with Chad and John and talking about some of the things that they've collected through their history with the game. Some rare cards, error cards, variants, even some memorabilia. So hopefully you learn something from the conversation and maybe it piques your interest to start collecting some of the items from the game's rich history. So hopefully you enjoy it. Thanks for being here. All right, so thank you for joining on another episode of The Threshing Floor. As always, John Hendricks here, and I have John Early and also Chad. Chad, I, I don't know your name, so we're just going to call you See the Tree. Um, since you haven't been on, um, you want to go ahead and introduce yourself a little bit to the listeners? Sure, yeah. I'm Chad France. Uh, that's my full name, and I've been active in Redemption for close to three years now. Um, and excited to be here with John and John. John and John, yes. John and John. I think that I should kick Jay off my podcast, and you can join my podcast, and we'll have your podcast every week, and I'll join you every once in a while, and then we'll have our podcast every other week, and it'll be the John and John Show. Yes, where we talk about sports and redemptions. Ooh, (laughs) I'm down with that. Y'all see that uh, Brady's going to retire? (laughs) <laughs> that's just, that's that's just cruel because you know what's going to happen. Oh yeah, he's going to go into the Hall of Fame the same year as Roethlisberger and overshadow him one last time. Of course, would there be any other way? It's awesome news. I good riddance. You know, I'm so glad he's done. Uh, now I can like the Bucks again. I used to like the Bucks back in the John Gruden days with Warren Sapp and and those guys. Uh, that was one of my favorite Super Bowls. I hated so, the Bucks back then. I was a really. Fan. I'm, a, I'm a Packers fan. Oh yeah, fan. yeah, that's true. Yeah, good point. Yeah. yeah, that random that random Super Bowl where that guy intercepted like what was it? A couple of passes, and then you never heard of him again. You got Super Bowl MVP, Dexter mm. Jackson or something. All right, so um, the episode for this week is going to be all about redemption collecting and collecting various items, not just cards, but mostly cards. And we'll kind of talk about what are the collectible items in the game and various memorabilia. So um, let me ask you guys, how long have you you guys been actively collecting Redemption? And does it it kind of run concurrent with how you've been in the game as a player? How long have you been in the game? I mean, I think it just depends on how you define collecting. Um, I mean, by the strictest sense of the word, you could argue that anyone that, you know, has bought cards and plays Redemption is a Redemption card collector. They have cards. Uh, Are their cards unique or valuable? No, not necessarily. Um, So, I mean, by the, you know, most basic definition, you could argue we're all collectors. Uh, I think uh, for the purposes of tonight's conversation, we'll probably talk a little more strictly. And I guess I'll let Chad get into it a little deeper, but I would say I'm not really a collector collector so to speak i don't necessarily seek out um 
rare cards and things like that. I'm more on the memorabilia side of things. So when we get to talking about what besides cards you can collect, I'll have a lot more to share there. But this is mostly going to be Chad talking about uh, cards and things like that. Cool. Yeah. As far as answering your question, John. So I started getting interested in collecting back when I was in high school. And that's when I was first in the game. And so that would have been that was around TEXP. I remember on the forums like Grapes of Wrath and Mayhem. And then and then I remember Disciples coming out and everything was Garden Tomb. But I didn't have much. Like John said, I had cards, but I did consider myself a collector because I looked on Three Lions Gaming when it was old and the site was very different than it looks now. And I was trying, I wanted to have all the cards, but I just, that didn't happen. And I ended up leaving the game probably about when Faith of Our Fathers Extended Expansion came out in like 2011 and then came back in 2019. And that's when I started actually collecting. And so, uh, yeah, there's different levels of that, but that's kind of when it all started for me big time. Okay, cool. You mentioned that, John, you're you're more into memorabilia as far as collecting. And so there's definitely other things besides cards, but... Um, what are the other items? Let's, I guess, identify what are the other items that some avid collectors for Redemption are collecting? I know just being around on the boards and on Discord, I've, you know, come across people talking about error cards, variant cards, blank cards, uncut sheets, so full sheets of cards, signed cards. Obviously, you've got the national promos and things of that nature. So what, I guess, just kind of unpack all of those and, like, for somebody that doesn't know what all those items and how they came to be in the community. So, I mean, I think the the first few things that you rattled off there, John, are all kind of subsets of the card collecting. You know, you've got your error cards, um, things like the women's uh, set. There's cards from the women's set that don't have the numbers printed on them by accident. Um, those are error cards. You've got blank cards, which were, you know, test prints and things like that uh, to fill packs for, you know, promotional type stuff. Back in the day when we did a little bit of promotion stuff, um, you'd have cards that had the redemption back on them and then a white front. There's also uh, blank cards that have white front on front and back. They're just kind of basically a piece of cardboard, but they came out of redemption packs. Um, so, I mean, it's, some people would look at that and say that's a collector's item too. Um, those are all kind of subsets of cards. And then you get into the more uh, like memorabilia type stuff. Um, uncut sheets uh, were um, one of the prize package things for a little bit. I don't remember exactly uh, when they stopped being part of the prize package, um, but for like winning regionals and nationals, you could get uncut sheets as part of the prize uh, compensation there. Um, signed cards, that's another subset of cards, obviously. Um, and they come in all shapes and sizes. You've got cards that are signed by the artist. You've got cards that are signed by um, Rob Anderson. You've got cards that are signed by players, either because uh, the person that has the card uh, thinks that player is really cool or really good or something like that and just wants their signature, or because, uh, as a lot of us in the Christian community are named after various characters of the Bible, a lot of us have redemption cards. Some of us have multiple redemption cards, Um, so sometimes it's kind of cool. And people will ask uh, somebody with that namesake to sign that redemption card. So when you get famous in a couple of years, Hendrix, you'll have people coming up to you with, you know, John the Baptist cards and things like that, asking you to sign them. Um, as, as long as they don't cut my head off. Yeah, exactly. I mean, hopefully, hopefully we won't have to do that. 
So what else? Um, Redemption Players Guide. You know, that's one that you didn't mention, but uh, that's a you know item that not a lot of players have. Some players probably haven't heard of it, but it was a book um, released way back in the day um, by David Easterling uh, that talked about redemption and how to play redemption in that time. There was actually, and I, I have a copy of it. I don't know exactly where my copy is, but I have a copy of it. And there was actually like a solo mode uh, described in the player's guide that you could play where you basically built like a tower of cards. And this was back when you literally had like unlimited and profits and that's it. And so it really was more of a numbers game. And so there was like a solo mode for redemption that you could play uh, with the help of the player's guide so that would be something and then the other piece that i think is big to talk about is art um collecting redemption art the art that's on redemption cards if you can track down the original artist and you know ask them to buy the art uh, that they made um you know that's something that that is pretty cool the only uh, art that I know of that anyone has is Doug Gray art, um, but it would be entirely possible if you were so inclined in that kind of collector to track down artists and attempt to purchase originals. I mean, I'd be insanely expensive for a lot of it, but you could. Nice. Yeah, that's John covered a lot of it there. Um, there's a couple items, though, that I can bring to light that are considered memorabilia collectibles. Um, POGs, I think they're called POGs. Oh, yeah. Um, those are one item that are kind of, I'd say, fairly highly collectible, especially people trying to build a whole set. Um, there's a hundred of them for redemption, and they're kind of hard to come by. Chris Faulkman, he got a whole bunch of them um, and recently and has a ton uh, was it him? No, I think it might've been Silence Matrix. One of them did, but yeah, those are collectible. The other thing is on the card side, play test cards and play test sets. Um, those have a fair amount of collectible value as well. And then uncut cards from the Patriarchs, uh, set. There's some of those floating around that are just, you know, it's not an uncut sheet, but the card itself is square instead of cut. So those are a few items that are also collectible um, on top of the ones that were already mentioned. And then it just gets down to like, I mean, what's your definition of an error card and a variant? So the original pre-sprinting, the cards were taller. And so if you have um, original priest packs from the very first print run of priests, um, the cards were in error uh, too tall. And so all of the cards are like that in the entire preset from the first print run. Um, and then Rob, you know, made the manufacturer aware and they gave a second print run of fixed cards. And so priest cards actually come in two sizes. So if you are a true, you know, I want to have a copy of every single card and variant that ever existed in every error card, you have to have two complete sets of priest cards, one that's tall and one that's slightly shorter. And with the tall ones, it's really, really, really hard to find good quality ones because they were so tall that oftentimes they would get caught in the press that seals the end of the pack and they would have indentations on the top of the cards. Yeah, that's some, and that's a really great topic too, I guess, to clarify. Uh, John brought up the difference between error cards, variants, and the other thing I'd say is misprints. And so different collectors have different opinions on this. So I'll just float mine out there. Um, air cards are the rarest of the rare. They're the things that there's only a few copies of. They're not, there's not a lot of them floating around. Things like the woman's air set does apply. Things like the white brigade angel cards, which we'll probably talk more about in a minute. Um, also there's like this 
one of a kind thing. So there's a set of faith of our fathers that the front is printed on, but the back is blank. And it's like the whole set. I think there's a few cards missing. So those would be error cards. And then variants, you have um, things like John is talking about, different sized cards, or you have the flip set symbols and apostles. Um, those sort of things would be variants. And then you have misprints. Like there's a bunch of angels floating around that have partly white, partly silver. And so those would be misprints. And those are probably the least collectible out of the three. But there is a difference between them, um, at least in my mind as a collector. Oh, I, I agree with you. I don't know that most people would disagree, I guess. I mean, you can fudge some of the terms and things like that. You could make the argument that uh, some of those angels that have the half silver, half white offset box are um, errors, not misprints, because um, there are a limited amount of those as well. They're not nearly as rare as the pure white angel icon boxes, uh, which I think we determined there's only like three of each of those in existence. I don't know how we got to that number, but everyone just says that's the number and trusts that it's true. And maybe it is. I Like I said, I don't remember how we got that number, um, but I would imagine that the half white, half silver boxes, there's less of those out there um, than you might think as well. No, that's true. Without totally nerding out, I do know the story on I how think, we got that number. I think the point uh, of this is to nerd out, so please, go yeah. ahead. So this is, and of course this has been passed down, but my understanding is, so for the Angel at Sure promo error card, that's the one specifically that we think there's only three of. And legend has it, Doug Gray, he got access to the sheet, and there were only three of them on there. And he sold them all on eBay, I think it was. And so back in the day, there were a few guys that got them, and they've circulated since then. I actually kind of know who's had them at certain points. Um, but yeah, now there's some others, though, such as from Disciples and other sets where there's White Brigade, Angel cards, and we don't know how many of those there are. No one really knows on those. Um, so it's just Angel of Sure that we know for sure there's only three of Do you know who has all three Angel of Sure right now? I do. Um, I do. And I think it's okay to share because I think it all is kind of publicly. So ORS 1949, Al Bauer, he has one. And then Master K Chief, he recently came back on the Discord. He has one. And then I sold my copy to a guy who goes by D10N. And he, I believe, out of every collector, has the most air cards out of anyone right now. And in fact, I believe he has the most complete collection of them out of anyone in the history of the game this is a more extensive collection than jesse's wasn't jesse going hard after those at one point like doesn't he have like the g and h misprints this guy has those yeah more complete than jesse ever had more complete soul seeker actually um jonathan greason had the most complete collection before this dude so he has it all i mean i'll just share what he has he's got the angel is sure he's got um two from Disciples of the White Brigade, it's, I think, Birth Foretold, and another one, Wheats and Tears, something like that. He has the Faith of Our Fathers set. He has the GNH heirs, where there's just, like, purple with no numbers, um, and you just got, like, the Bible or the cross in him. And then he's got, oh, man, what else does he have? He has pretty much everything, I believe other than a couple of the um, G&H cards, which Jesse's the only one that has those that we know of. One is Pharaoh from G&H with the ability, and then the other one is an Angel of the Lord that just has some really funky 
typing on it. But I believe other than those two cards, he has a copy of every known air card, which is something else. Does he have any interest in a 2016 Son of God? See, I don't, I think he's more interested in the airs. Like from what I know, and he paid because I sold my air card collection and he paid premium dollar to get it because he'd been waiting for these to come available. But I think that's his focus is more just the air cards. Gotcha. And, and variants. That's yeah. awesome. Well, hey, Hendrix, why didn't you get this guy for the podcast? He'd be way more interesting to talk to than me. Well, if I knew he existed in <laughs> in some kind of degree, like I, I don't know who this guy is. And, and Chad, I, I guess you have connections with some of these people because you were kind of into that collector's market that we don't necessarily see as competitive players because they're not active on boards and discord for, you know, tournaments and things. I do. And it's shrunk. Even from when I first started seriously collecting three years ago, the number of serious collectors in the game has shrunk. Like we're going to talk about, I noticed later on, you mentioned a little bit about different types of collectors, but there's only a few guys that are really interested in this type of stuff. But yeah, they, they aren't necessarily guys that actively play, but they're pretty serious about collecting. They take it, take it serious, real serious. And they, they, they throw the money down to pay for it too. It's expensive, you know? Yeah, definitely. Um, so when you mentioned that the market of those guys have dwindled to where it's not as big as it used to be, what do you think that does to the value of these cards? So you say this one gentleman has pretty much every error card that's known to exist. Do, are because the numbers are getting smaller, does that make that collection less valuable or do you think it still holds kind of the same value that you know it had as he built that collection? That's a great question. Um I think that it holds value, but it's a limited number of people that would value it that way. You know, because so for example, everything I had when I went to sell my air card collection, I talked to the guys that are into this stuff consulted them on what they thought was a fair price and it all sold exactly for that and so it holds value but i think what we're seeing is a shift where playable cards are becoming more valuable than the air cards which wasn't the case um if you scour the forums that's actually a really interesting thing anyone interested in collecting the forums legitimately have everything on there if you just go to the search thing at the top right you can find anything because these dudes of old, the big collectors that are now gone, they talk about it all on there. Um, but back then, I think it definitely would have had more more people interested in it, and the stuff would have sold a lot faster back in the day um, than it would now. So I think it has the same value, but just not as many people that would pay that much. So if we were on like Pawn Stars, you would be like Rick Harrison talking about, well, I've got a frame and I've got a set of here. It's going to sit in my shop, so and try to work the price down a little bit to buy into it. That's how you would work mm -hmm. that? Yes. Yeah, definitely. Um, let me ask you guys, what do you, as far as all the cart different different types of things, uh, from memorabilia to cards and then the subset of other variant of cards, era cards, that thing, what of those do you guys personally own in your collections? Well, Chad just told you he sold all his, so. Well, I also I also know he still has full cut sheets that are framed though, so he hasn't oh, sold yeah. quite everything. Right, right. So, Chad, I'm real curious, and if you don't want to say that's cool, but I'm going to say how much I spent on my thing. So, like the error cards, like 
what did you sell your collection for? I'm just curious, like what the most expensive like thing that one of us has had is. I'm I'm totally fine sharing that. So all together, and it wasn't a lot of items. They're all still listed. I still have the post on the forums. I got nine hundred dollars for my air card collection, and that included collectibles too. Like I sold my player's guide, um, my signed cards. I had a pack that I got from the Guardian that was proof of the foil, kind of a unique item. But the most expensive thing in that lot was definitely the Angel of Sure promo air card, the one that there's only three of in existence. That went for $350. Okay. So I don't have any cards that I... So I have a card that I think is worth that. I think 2016 Son of God is worth that, but I haven't changed hands at that price. I focus much more on the collecting of like memorabilia and specifically art. Um, I have a number of, of art pieces. Um, and so I purchased the Noah's Ark um, art by Doug Gray from Travis. And I spent more than 350 on that art. Um, it was framed. It came with the backdrop of all the signatures on it. Um, but I spent 500 on that. Um, I've spent, uh, what else, what else have I done? Um, so I have one, two, I have five other pieces of Doug Gray art, um, that has his signatures on them. Um, and they are all framed with, uh, copies of the cards that the art is on. So now two of them, I purchased uh, from Doug personally at uh, Redemption Nationals in Ohio in 2016, and I actually had him sign the cards as well. So I have a framed copy of A Serious Tribute and Zerubal's Temple, uh, the foof printing, um, with uh, the art for them. So I have that framed, and I believe, if I remember correctly, he was selling those for $50 apiece um, at... Uh, at that nationals and uh, he'd sell the art for $50. So I bought those. And then um, also from Travis, I purchased three more pieces of Doug Gray art that he had uh, purchased from Doug at that national tournament. So I have stronghold in the desert, uh, Caleb's sword and Goliath's armor. Um, and they're also framed. The one thing that Travis didn't do um, at the time was have Doug sign those cards. So the art is framed with a copy of the card, um, but the card is not signed the way that my original two were. And I paid uh, 75 for each of those to help offset some of the cost of framing those. Um, so I've, I've spent quite a bit. I haven't sold a ton of stuff, but I've spent quite a bit on, on memorabilia and things like that. That is, that's amazing. I, I think that might be, at least from what I've heard, the most extensive collection of redemption art that John has right there. Really cool. I'd love to see all that someday. I'll send you a picture. Amazing. Oh, please do. Yeah, that's, yeah. that sounds amazing. I, uh, so I have my little man cave down here where I'm sitting, where we're recording. And uh, I've been, I have got like a couple of YouTube videos and um, I've been in a couple of online tournaments. And so normally when I shoot, my camera sees a wall behind me for a long time, the Doug Gray art hung on that wall, uh, my framed pieces with signatures. And then when I bought the Noah's Ark from Travis, that replaced it. So this is kind of my little man cave. I don't really have room uh, to hang all of these pieces of art, but I grabbed them all from where I had them sitting uh, before the conversation tonight. So I could lay them out and make sure I uh, had it accurate exactly which uh, which pieces of art um, I had. Because I, I remembered, obviously, the two that I bought um, personally, initially, I knew. I couldn't remember exactly what the three were that I bought from Travis. 
because I've never actually hung those ones up in my house. Um, so I've got them all laid out here. So I'll send you a picture, Chad. I'll send one to you too, John. And probably, honestly, John, we should find a way to uh, to include some pictures of some of this stuff. I don't know what Chad might still have that he has pictures of, but I can send pictures of my memorabilia for sure. Yeah, I've got pictures of everything because I posted it to sell it. So um, yeah, that, that, that would be great to have. As far as what I've collected during my time in the game. So when I rediscovered Redemption in 2019, basically I hadn't, I forgot about the game. I forgot it existed. I totally, it wasn't a part of my life for over a decade. And then I was sitting in my office one day at work and it, for whatever reason, I I think it was almost a God thing. It just came into my mind. I was like, wait, there was that card game I used to play. And I thought it would have been gone. And I looked up and it was still alive. And there were all these really cool new sets and, so I kind of got into it, and then I made a decision that I wanted to try and collect one of every card. And once I found out about the air cards, that included that. I wanted to have one of every variant, one of every air card, one of everything. And so I started on this quest, and so as far as what I ended up collecting, I have one of everything from all of the regular sets and all of the alternate sets, the alternate border sets, first printing of early church, one of every single promo, including all the special NAS promos. I got one of everything. And then once I did that, I was like, okay, I'm going to tackle the air cards. And I soon realized that that was going to be the hardest possible thing. I talked to Soul Seeker quite a bit because on the forums, I noticed he'd made it further than anyone else. And so what I ended up getting was I got the Angel at Sure. I got two of the White Brigade um, Angel cards from Disciples. I ended up getting a playtest set from Woman's, which was pretty cool. And then I managed to get um, this really unique Frog Demons Air card. I think it's one of a kind. It was a strange, it had this like black cross in the middle. Um, Redemption Aggie said he had a vain philosophy, I think, like that at one point. I got the blank cards. The blank on both sides air card is the rare one. That one took me forever to find. Um, oh, serious? Canada. I've got like oh, six of those just laying around. On both sides? Yeah, dude. Oh, seriously? Yeah. I didn't. <laughs> I, I, dude, I, I thought the other one was more rare because I don't have the other one. I have, I've got the double blank. I don't have a single blank side one. No, the single blank is not rare at all. The double blank. Uh, so Kyle Hostetler, Silence Matrix, him and I were thinking that he had the last one. Because I've been checking everywhere and couldn't find one. Yeah, that card that card's valued at like thirty bucks. So Seriously? Got, yeah, yeah. You got a nice little stash there. Now, it, now you having six might bring the value down a little bit, but to my knowledge, you've got the only ones other than the one that I sold. So, what it sounds like is that you thought it was not rare, John, but everybody else was rare because you unintentionally cornered the market. <laughs> he did. <laughs> That is fantastic. That's hilarious. That's really funny. That's so that's really funny. Yeah, man, if only I knew I could have saved a buck or two. You might have sold it to me for like five bucks or something. Oh, I wouldn't. I might have just sent you one, dude. Oh my word. Yeah, I literally until Kyle Silence Matrix sold this collection, I thought I had no chance of getting that card. And then he sold his collection and I snagged his copy. Um Wow. Oh, crazy. <laughs> uh, I'll, I'll finish off what I've collected. I did get a complete set of the Redemption Pogs, 100 out of 100, which was kind of cool. Um, it was cool to have all those. 
so yeah, that's what I collected. Um, maybe in a bit, I'll share why I sold out of that. But you, you just asked kind of what we've collected. Yeah, um, and I guess we'll we'll move into kind of identifying. You kind of touched on that it was coming up, identifying the type of collectors. And John kind of talked about he's done a couple of YouTube videos, and he has that wall. And you've seen when he's been on like live stream or whatever, you can see the the Noah's art artwork now. And I actually have a future goal to eventually do some YouTube videos, but I want to like build, there's this guy that does um, Pokemon opening and obviously Pokemon has a lot more collectible things and I don't necessarily care about collecting most things. I just would like a bunch of like memorabilia type things or whatever to fill that wall just so it, it looks like, I don't, I don't know, more engaging background. So I'm more of a, I guess, vain collector of, I just want stuff that looks cool behind me. Um, and then I guess everybody has like some level. Well, of with, with looks like yours, you need something to help like offset that. <laughs> I, I appreciate that. So, so Derek, Derek clowns me for my accent and you clown me for my looks. Fantastic. Um, anyway, so I just, I, I personally, the, the only thing as far as cards are things that I'm hard after trying to collect is one copy of each of the 2016 and forward national promos, which is also what I would think is probably the most, not not necessarily difficult, but it is definitely going to be the most expensive collection to put together because you mentioned, Chad, that you sold your collection for um, 900 or, or 950 I can't remember what you said. Um, and I could I could venture to say that you would drop that on buying just one year of the 2016 forward promos, probably, depending on rarity and whatnot. Like if you had to buy the 2016 Son of God, boom, there's half of the the amount that you potentially sold your collection of error cards for. So it's not that that it's necessarily as hard, but it's definitely going to be more expensive. So it's a long game for me at this point, even though John keeps trying to rub it in on the uh, – on Discord about buying it. He just wants my wife to go ahead and kill me, so I'll be John the Baptist that was beheaded, you know, in, in our lifetime. So that's that's what I'm looking at as a collector. That like that That's my goal. And, you know, I've bought a few things. I purchased, obviously, the couple of Angel War action figures. Go ahead and go ahead and clown me on that. I made my confession last week. I think those week. are cool. Yes, I, I'm... I'm really upset I can't find the Michael. Like I was going I was willing to pay like fifty bucks even though it was like a ten dollar collector for the other one. But you just can't find it anywhere. Like it's well, not available uh, even used. Didn't somebody say on Discord the other day that they've got a Michael and a Moore? You should call that dude and see if he'll sell it to you. I think someone mentioned that their kids have them. I'm not going to ask them to take them from their kids. Why not? If the price is right. Eh, I just I I, I I don't know how I feel about. Hey, can you take your kid's toy that you bought him way back when and sell it to me? I just. How do you know the kid even wants it? I don't know, but the the worst you can say say is no. I guess that's fair. You won't know if you don't ask the question. Well, maybe he'll listen to this, and the question has been posed. You know, you know, without me directly asking. Anyway, um, and then I bought the comic books for Archangels, and there's a that I've got the first run of nine issues. And then there's a collector set of a second run um, that's a different story, but it's a trilogy, and it's got three, and they come in a collector's ten. And so I don't have those yet. But those were things that I was buying up for for that purpose of doing that kind of wall of redemption stuff. Um, 
So what what I guess I would fall into more of just the collector that is more worried about playable cards and having high-end playable cards so that when you go to nationals, you can have, let's just call it a flex deck. So you have the deck that looks cool because you've got all of the promos in it, that type of thing. Um, how many collectors do you think are more like me versus the old school collecting error cards and things like that, Chad? Because I know you did some research into finding out what, what people were collecting on uh, this past week. I did. I tried to kind of reach out to the community and get a feel for where people are at that consider themselves collectors of any type. And it was interesting because it's definitely, you know, changed even from when I first started um, collecting. And so I'd say the majority of people that collect are like you. Um, They want to collect cards that are playable. They want to collect cards from the regular sets and they want to collect the promos. Um, with that, I'd say there's a few different types of collectors that fall under that. So you have the one of each type of collector. I'll call it that like yourself. You want to get one of each card from the sets and then get one of each promo. And there were several guys I ran into like that. Then you have, I'll call them the heavyweights, okay? The the Chris Falkmans, okay? The dudes that are collecting three copies of every card, which is just... That's that's something else, you know, to collect something like that. Him and there were a couple other guys that uh, said that they do that. They collect three to four of each card for themselves, which if, if people familiar with other card games, a play test is four of each card. And that is more power to them. But those are big boy collectors that are getting that. Most of those guys, though, collect one of each promo because the promos are more expensive and the rarity they're doing three to four and then one of each promo. And I'd say the type two players that collect as well, um, they're doing that too. They're getting more than one copy of each because they're playing type two. But then a lot of type two players, at least in my experience, they get what they need and they play that. They have a big collection, but they don't necessarily care about having one of every card. They just want to have multiples of what they need. But yeah, I'd say most of the collectors are guys that are wanting the playable cards, whether it's one of each or if they're a heavyweight, they're going for three to four of each. Um, earlier, Chad, you mentioned that collectors, you think the, the market's kind of, or the number of collectors in the market has shrunk. What do you, as far as doing that research and having people reach out to you, how many active collectors for cards of, like the you mentioned the errors and the variants of that type of collector, how many of those do you think are currently active in the game? I would say 10 or less and in complete honesty. And it might be five or less. I don't think there's a lot of them. Uh, people that are trying to intentionally collect the air cards. Um, I'd say there's a bit more that are trying to get the variants. Uh, I ran into a couple of guys that mentioned that, that they try to get like the flip set symbols from apostles. You know, they're trying to get variants. Um, the C and D decks, they're that way. There's variants there. So there's a few more that are doing that. But as far as the full-on get-the-air cards, the super rare stuff, play test sets, I'd say 10 or less are left right now. Wow. What do you think that number was at the height of it when you were, um, I guess, you said you came back in in 2019 and that's when you started collecting, right? Yeah, that's when I started collecting seriously. I'd say the height of it was not then. It was probably back 
2008 to 2013, somewhere in there. From what I've read on the forums, there were a lot more people talking about error cards, and there was like a excitement about them. Like they really wanted to try and get the angel of sure. It was something that was a big deal. And I don't know because I wasn't around. Maybe John would have a better idea of how many, but I'd say definitely more than 10, maybe like 30, 40 people that were actually interested in that stuff. I don't know. Maybe he'd be more help on that. I I really can't speak to it, to be honest. Um, I've never, I've never classify myself as a collector per se obviously i have some really cool really unique pieces um so in that sense i i'm a collector i don't necessarily go like actively seek things out and definitely in the heyday so to speak 08 to 13 if that's what it was as you describe i was 100 focused on playing then i wasn't in the collecting uh, scene at all so so i really can't speak to to that um i do think that the pool has definitely shrunk if you're looking at people that are really looking at like the high-end exclusive one-of-a-kind card type things for two reasons one ultimately it's just cardboard guys i mean this costs rob like 25 cents a card to make or something like that i mean it can't be that expensive it's literally ink on paper so i think people have realized like some of it is a little crazy i mean don't get me wrong i think some of these cards have that value because they are so few of them in existence but ultimately i think some people realize that they have better things to spend money on um and some people have just gotten out of the game i mean as the overall a uh, group of players in the game has shrunk naturally. Every subset of players within that group also shrinks. So we have less competitive players, less collecting players, less casual players. We just have less players. So I think it could be very interesting over the next two, three years as we've laid a bunch of groundwork and we have a ton of awesome projects, content creators like yourself, John, uh, like Jaden. Um, Rob M Studios, Roy laying the groundwork with Royal Rangers and stuff like that. Uh, if we do have a resurgence with the crazy booming popularity and hype train rolling with GOC, if we do get back to a point where we have a, a big, thriving, huge community, I think you'll see players that come in that, you know, have some disposable income and things like that that are you know interested in collecting and they'll do the kind of same rabbit trailing type stuff that chad did when he got back in and discover oh wow there's like all these variant cards and unique errors and then they're going to try to figure out if they can find copies of them and track down the people that have them and see if they can talk them into selling them because like honestly and that's why i asked chad because i i knew the urban legend of there being only three angel assures i had no idea who had them i knew at one point you did and i thought at one point jesse did but uh, the other guys that you mentioned, like, I would have never thought that Al Bauer had one, to be honest. I love Al to death, but he just doesn't strike me as that kind of guy. And so that's awesome that he does. And it's awesome that that's a way that he takes enjoyment out of the game, you know. And so, you know, the other guys, I hadn't even heard of them. Who knows if they even, you know, still care about redemption stuff. Yeah, I, I definitely think that we do have the game set up to where with content creation and things of that nature... I think the community is doing a fantastic job of making the game accessible to a new player as far as being a welcoming community, having resources to make the, um, I don't know, dipping your foot in is a lot easier now as far as learning the rules and the mechanics because you have people that have worked to make resources for those type of players. So hopefully that kind of builds up the collector's 
um, subset of players, you know, people that maybe aren't as competitive but are more interested in collecting. So maybe that gets a, a bit of a boom with the community setting things up for the game to potentially grow. Um, let me ask you this. Do you think that with overall just collecting, not just the error cards, but even if you just collect the sets, how do you think the value on those and um, I guess accessibility and things of that nature are affected by rotation? That's a great question. Um, I'll chime in on that. And I also want to comment if it's okay briefly on what John just brought up about, and, and you as well, John and John, about the possible change in the collectible market based on everything going on in redemption. I totally agree. Because if you look at that time when things were booming and people were really interested in collecting this type of stuff, it was a time when redemption nationals was, there were tons of people there, you know, there's more going on and COVID, you know, is a time where there's been a depression in that, but it's on the upswing. So I definitely think moving forward, there'll be more of that and that number of people, and it might be more than 10. I, I could be being a bit uh, wrong on that guess, but I could see that increasing as far as rotation impacting value. It definitely is going to mean that people are not as interested in the classic cards. A true collector will want to get them, and they will be able to get them because they're going to be cheap. They're not going to be expensive. It'll be easier than ever to get those. They're just going to want to have them because they want to have everything, and they're going to want to get the flip set symbols. But the big emphasis is going to be rotation cards, and the thing that is going to go up in value is the national promos. I mean, we saw that this past year. That was crazy when Chris was selling those, what people were willing to pay to get Angel of the Winds, to get scattered. And this year, it's going to be no different. I mean, they look absolutely incredible what is coming in, in this year for Nats. I'm going to so. jump in right there just because so like I'm recording this podcast and I'm super focused on it. I promise Hendrix, like I'm deck building right now. Like I have my cards laid out in front of me and I just, for the very first time took an angel of the winds promo, $175 card out of the sleeve that it's in and sleeved it in a deck sleeve to play it. And it just made me feel a little queasy. Cause I'm just like, I want to play with the cool looking stuff. And I'm like, dude, this is like a $175 card that I am now going to make not, mint condition is going to now be in a lightly played condition <laughs> well that can definitely still qualify for redemption mint from what i hear <laughs> but dude that's why that's why i'm saying my promos like i'm not i'm not completely against playing them but i think i would limit myself to only playing them in a nationals deck if the deck includes that card or if i can you know kind of force it just to be able to use the pretty cards or, or if you have two copies, like if you have two copies of something, then it's okay. Because I have my other Angel of the Winds sitting in a sleeve still. Of course. For, flex. For people like flex. you. <laughs> hey, I thought the whole point of this episode was to flex a little bit, all right? That's the only reason I'm here. True that. <laughs> I'm John the Baptist, and my partner for the John and John podcast, where we're kicking Jay off, is John the Flexer. <laughs> I'll, I'll call Gabe see if we can get that worked in the next set <laughs> a flip card and it's the two. <laughs> <laughs> that's awesome not the meek side John the Flexer not meek yeah, side I'll have to take the meek side with the Baptist guy <laughs> you'll have to you'll have to have the ability bud that's awesome <laughs> was that all you you wanted to add Chad right there 
on the value, yeah, I think that 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 covers it pretty much as far as your question on rotation impacting value. Well, and the other thing that I'll chime in just super briefly there that was kind of brought up, I think, by you, Hendricks, on the board on Discord the other day. Um, this year's national promos, A, look amazing. B, um, I now know which ones are first through third. I'm not going to say which ones they are because, uh, I mean, it's been decided, but I don't know if it's released yet. So I don't, I'm not going to say, but I know which ones are first through third. And so I know which one's going to be insanely expensive. And there's going to be less copies of it available this year because we have less categories. So not only are the old ones, 2016, 17, 18, et cetera, going to hold value and potentially increase in value as people come in and like want to create complete sets of cards from a collector standpoint, the newer ones will start off with higher value because there's less of them. I know that we kind of uh, brought this up on discord this past week about the national promos. And it looks like we're, we're fully going down this rabbit hole here, but we, you know, we had Derek talking about how he, he tries to make it accessible for new players. I get that, but I also really like that they're getting really high in value, especially initially, like how Chris made a ton of money. And I know that because I saw my bank statement. He made a <laughs> ton of money after Nationals last year when he sold those cards. And you just think about the kid that that, that shows up or, or the person with the limited resources shows up, wins a Nationals promo, yeah, it's really cool to have that card. And you can keep it if you want and start your collection right there. Maybe that starts, you know, you chasing all the promos. Or maybe you flip that card and you sell it for almost enough money or close to enough money to buy two boxes of the new set or something like that. Like, I mean, that allows it to be a resource for a player if you find yourself winning sealed deck, if you find yourself winning booster which are the categories that can easily be won by somebody that's not the top tier player because you just get the better the better cards in your setup. So I think the value of them being where they are and where they're going because it looks like they're just continuing to trend upward. And I would throw out a guess that King of Tyrus is first place just because of it's the coolest looking one, but I know you're not sharing that. But if that is and you were able to luck up and get one of, I don't know, 10 copies that are going to be distributed and how much money that that must be valued at initially. I guess we could call Chris right now and ask him what he would sell one for because, you know, he's going to end up having a couple of copies because he's going to beat his uh, play group so he can get those RNRS points. I really do. I really do think that the value of those cards being what they are is only healthy for the game because as those those collectors of the error cards and things have dwindled down. I think they're almost replaced by people chasing the promo cards and things of that nature. So I think it's almost I wouldn't I wouldn't venture to say that I know for a fact that it's like a one for one replacement, but I would say that if you wanted to go engage how many people would like to have all of the national promos, there's at least probably one one of those for every one that you lost that was collecting error cards. I think that's pretty fair to assume, don't you guys think? Oh, undoubtedly. And in fact, I'll jump in now and kind of share the transition that's happened with me as a collector. So that's exactly what's happened on my end. So I got to the max of where I could as collecting collecting the error cards went. I got everything I was going to be able to get. The people that had the stuff I didn't have weren't going to let go of it till they died, basically is what it was. 
And I wasn't about to kill anybody to get a redemption card. So I knew I was done, you know. I knew I couldn't get anything else. So I had them sitting there. And at first I just collected. But then in spring 2020, I started a play group with my youth group. And I was like, you know what? This would be great. But I didn't really know how to play. And so I'm trying to teach these guys to play, and I couldn't. So I got on Lackey and started getting murdered by people like Wraith and, and Bingaling. And then I played Justin Allstad and literally just got obliterated to Kingdom Come for like 40 games in a row. But I started to play the game, and I started to be like, oh, I actually enjoy playing almost more than I do collecting. And so then my wife and I were about to buy a house and I had these air cards sitting there and I was like, you know what? I love collecting, but I'd almost rather just collect the sets and then try to get these promos each year. And so I think you're a hundred percent right. Those are great for the game and they broaden the appeal of collectibles because they're collectible items to people that normally wouldn't be interested because they're playable. And so I, I'm a conversion to that. I'm no longer a collector of the air cards, but I still collect those. And I think there's a lot of guys like that. I think you're right. Yeah. And if we didn't have John, you know, accidentally cornering the market on them, then they would be more accessible to people. My my bad. (laughs) All right. So let me ask you guys this, John, I know you, let's, let's start with you. You, you sent us those pictures. Uh, We've got those pictures and maybe, I guess, if you don't mind, I'll do something to share those with the community. If you're cool with that. So they yeah, can absolutely. See that. I mean, I think, I think when the link gets posted to Land of Redemption, which I think Chad, aren't you like one of the editors for that? So I think when the link goes on Land of Redemption, that's pretty easy to include the pictures uh, there at that, uh, if nothing else. And then uh, we'll find another way to get them out there. That's for sure, cool man. Yeah. Um, so, what do you think is out of your collection? What do you think is your best piece as far as uh, probably? Probably you mentioned the one that you spent that cost more than the angel is sure. And I know you have the 2016 son of God that you keep, you know, dangling in my face, but (laughs) what, what do you think is your most uh, prized and most valuable um, piece that you have in terms of real world value? So like if you were to make a sell on that, um, I mean, it either has to be 2016 Son of God or the Noah's Ark uh, piece, and that's just a tough one. It's the the 2016 Son of God is a little easier to quantify the value of. Um, I think it's a $500 card personally, um, because of the limited number of them, the fact that they just don't change hands that often. The people that have them tend to hold on to them. Also, you got to remember in 2016, some of those players they don't exist no more. They uh, they moved on to different things in life, and they may or may not come back, and they may or may not have sold their collections. So, a there's a limit on to start with. B people are inclined to hold on to them. C some of those copies may not be available anymore. So, I think it's a $500 card. So, and I think you know the card because it's playable is far more likely to move hands, uh, far more likely to have a market for it where someone wants it than the Noah's Ark painting. Uh, and frankly, I'm never going to sell the Noah's Ark painting. Like I would have to be like, I don't know, we'd have to have like a major medical emergency or something where I just need like fast cash. Like I just, I can't fathom a situation where I would sell that piece because it is one of a kind. There, it, There is no other piece like it. Um, it is the only, I mean, Doug Gray only painted it once, you know? Um, so it is, it is unique. There is no other. 
Yeah, that that's definitely fair. Um, I guess, Chad, what what do you think? Um, you you mentioned, and I guess this isn't really fair because you said you sold most of your collection, but you do have some of the promos that you've done. So I guess uh, let me let me ask you like this: besides the Angel of Sure, um, I guess I'm saying that right. The the error card that was one of three. Besides that one, what do you think the most valuable piece when you were collecting error cards was? And then I guess I would I I guess I've. I've trolled myself a little bit because both of the people on the podcast have the 2016 son of God already. And I don't. So I guess that would be your, your most valuable um, card. Maybe you could speak about the, uh, how you got that and what the value was when you got that. So you can kind of gauge the value of that in terms of real world, because you're one of the few people that have seen it change hands or whatnot. Yeah, definitely. Uh, So as far as I'll start with when I had my error card collection outside of Angel of Sure promo, the most valuable things I had were my Angel of Tomb White Brigade error card and my Wheat and Tears White Brigade error card. And those, I sold them a bit shy of what I think they're actually worth. I sold them for ninety a piece. I think they're worth more like one fifty a piece, but I, I they, that wasn't the value that other collectors had for them. Uh, main reason I value them higher is we just don't know how many there are, and I know of no one else that has any of them. So, at least when I had them. As far as my current collection goes, so I do have the 2016 Son of God, and I'll talk a bit about how that happened, but as far as a single card goes, that would be the most valuable. But one thing I have that's kind of unique that not a lot of people have is a complete set of the early church first printing. Um, and so that is something that's really quite rare to have all of that. And those are all, to my knowledge, playable cards. You know, you can play them and they look different. They, they look different than the others. So I don't know what that set now, but that set is probably worth something significant. Um, and then with 2016 Son of God, so I ended up getting that when I first got in. I managed to buy someone's complete collection in parts, and that was part of their collection. I don't remember the exact value, but I got a steal on it. I know I didn't pay $500, and it was included in the collection. I believe it was valued. Ken, he used to have it on his list of stuff on Three Lions Gaming. Um, I can find that in a minute, but it was like less than 200 is what it was valued at when I got it. I'm not selling you mine for less than 200, John. Darn it. I set up this entire podcast. The entire podcast is just a ruse. I'm trying to get him to drop the value so you'll sell me your card, and you're telling me it's not going to work? Nope. Not a chance. All right, fine. You can have Jay back on the podcast. I quit. It's no longer John and John. <laughs> I have quit. I resign. You resign? If I resign, that's the only way Jay can keep his job. I'm a better podcaster. Oh, shots fired! Fighting words right there. Jay, I have to back. I'm gonna have to back up my buddy Jay here. Jay does a fine job on our podcast. We're only two episodes in, but he carries the weight over there. I know. I was just, you know, I wanted, I wanted him to just be chilling at home, you know, hanging out with his wife and catching strays, because I, I don't know. We just there's there's something fun about poking fun at Jay, especially because. He has left us in the southeast and left a void in our hearts. We we just 
there's too much personality that's missing down here, and we don't know how to fill it, so we just poke fun at Jay to fill it. So it works. <laughs> oh, my goodness. You find that value yet, Chad? It's, it's, I did. It's getting deep One, around here. 150 was what it was Ow. valued at when I got it. But uh, before before Hendrix gets to I completely agree with early. It's a $500 card. No doubt. I completely agree with him. So that's you what You can ask is. John. I, I did not dispute the value of the card. I actually, like I've said, I'm, I'm 100% honest when I say that I enjoy the fact that they're getting up there in value because I think it makes like, – they're, they're, they're long-term chase cards. I've used that term a, a ton when talking about my desire to collect them. They're long-term chase cards, and it only benefits the game for people to be that invested to get those cards. And I have no problem with that being the value. I just have the problem of I can't pull the trigger because then my wife will pull a different trigger. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> <laughs> So we locked the gun up around the house. Um. <laughs> oh, man. So I don't know what your next question is, John, or where we're going. I'm going to take us on a super tangent here. Sweet. Like I said, I'm I'm building a deck right now. And uh, those of you that know me, I've talked about it on a variety of podcasts before, including this one. My collection, not organized. Uh, my valuable stuff, the 16th Son of God, it's in a sleeve and a top loader and it's i know where it is everything else is kind of in a box um you know like my sets of you know like poc and loc and things like that those are in like a long white box um everything else is just kind of in a box right so i've gotten to the point i have 47 out of 50 cards in the deck that i'm building right now um and i'm actually i'm building a copy of the bomb deck that gabe shared um on discord uh, recently because it kind of looks fun and cool and, and i'm just gonna give it a try and see how it plays out because he didn't uh, he didn't share that with me like normally like gabe and i collaborate on some stuff and he's just been holding out on me so i had to build it to see how it works so i'm missing like three cards right so i'm digging around trying to find these three cards i'm missing a copy of uh foolish shepherd I'm missing a copy of Zadok for some reason. I, I don't know how I'm missing Zadok. Um, and I'm missing... Um, I don't remember what the third card I'm looking for is. Oh, I'm looking for a seventh lost soul. I haven't decided which one it's going to be because I'm not going to play the seven souls that Gabe has there because I think he's wrong. Um, so I'm going to play seven different souls, but I'm, I'm looking for one soul still. Anyway, so I'm digging through my cards, right? And I just found something that you guys have no clue even exists, but older players are going to hear me say this and they're going to chuckle. I am holding the John Early card in my hand right now. Hey, I know about those. So, you know about those? I know they, right. they, they were uh, apparently players tournament legal for one season. You can have they were your own tournament custom legal. card mm-hmm. made. They were tournament legal for one season. And so uh, they were made. It was the Boston Nationals in 2009, and it was hosted by another John, John the Elysian. Um, he's Faith Raider on the boards. I don't know if he's on Discord or not. I think he is. Um, he's probably Faith Raider there, too. And the cards were tournament legal to be reviewed on a year-by-year basis. And after the first year, we said, eh, they're not tournament legal anymore. And we've never revisited it. Um, But you could have um, a card made for a fee. I don't remember what the fee was. So I have a John Early card. And you could pick from, I think it was four or five abilities. 
and like four or five identifiers. And I think the identifiers and the abilities were paired. Like if you picked to be a musician, then you had a certain special ability. If you picked to be a prophet, you had one, et cetera. Um, and then there was like a range of stats that you could choose from. I think it was, you could be like three, four or five on like toughness and strength or something like that. I don't remember all the details. It's fuzzy. I'm old. The memory banks don't go back that far. Um, but I just found my John Early card and I actually played this in a deck at nationals in 2010, the next year when it was tournament legal. And I took second at nationals with the John Early card in a deck. That's that's, that's fan- awesome. Fantastic to hear. Let me ask you this. What do you what do you place the value at on a John Early card? <laughs> um, I'm not going to lie to you. Uh, the pitcher. So 2009, I was 19, I guess. Um, the pitcher looks like I'm 12. Um, and for a while, uh, my shtick at tournaments, so everybody has kind of like their thing. Like you've got your big old Southern drawl and personality. I don't have anything like that to work with. Um, so you've like, got some uh, personality. I mean, it's a little dry, but we'll deal with it. About as dry as the finest martini. So the thing is like back in the day, like Tim Molly used to always have a different costume that he'd show up to each day at tournaments. So he had like a pirate costume and like, uh, and then a suit and tie they would wear, all this kind of stuff, right? So he was cool. Gil Kimmons was similar. And so, like, all of us players back in the good old days, like, we didn't just show up to tournaments and just, like, play. Like, we, like, had personalities and, like, shticks. So my shtick was I brought stuffed animals with me. So I am holding in my picture on this card a koala bear and, here you go, a red dragon. Because I am Red Dragon Thorn. Nice, nice. I, I might need to send you guys a picture of this too, so that everybody can enjoy it. And that is going up on LOR for sure. <laughs> I, I'm going to be honest with you. I might go go to Walgreens and get that printed like that card I made for Tyler. And, oh, and there you, you go. Know, frame it up. That's hilarious. To be honest, How, at what point did you stop taking stuffed animals? Because you didn't have one last year when I went to my first nationals. Oh so yeah. At what point did you you stop doing that? So so when I got good and no longer needed to like intimidate my opponents by like my weird quirkiness, that was when I gave it up. So probably like 2012. Um, I did actually for a number of years. I actually did the same thing as Tim. I would wear a button down shirt and a bow tie on the day of Type One Two player, and it was a pink paisley bow tie. There are pictures of me in it on the internet. You can find them. Nice, nice. You know what? I probably. I probably shouldn't share this because this was something he told me. He didn't tell me not to share it, so I'm just going to go ahead and say it, that it was brought up that Tyler told me that he is thinking about wearing the outfit from his emoji that I used for that card and showing up to Nats wearing that. And that I would think be that would be hilarious. <laughs> I would definitely bring a, a printed out copy of that card that I made him and have him sign it. Just That's, Just go full circle with it. That's awesome get a picture of him holding the card in that outfit with him signing the card. <laughs> but anyway, off of off of that and and I guess the the real thing here to think about is how unorganized your cards must be because rotation has happened and you're building a rotation legal deck and you came across a card that was only tournament legal for one tournament season in 2010. <laughs> <laughs> I I don't lie. They are in a box all right like at at some point when i have time in my life i should sort my box out to be a rotation box and a classic box like that just makes sense right um i mean i've i've tried to sort my collection a number of times it just doesn't work i've just i'm just not i'm not wired that way i don't know what to tell you guys like i try to be organized i do i'm super organized at work but that's like different 
like I'm just not organized with my cards. I don't know what to tell you. You get paid at work to be organized, right? <laughs> I mean, five hundred dollar winner cards. I get might get paid to play Redemption too. I mean, I guess I guess so if you're if you're lucky enough to you know have that level of success. But maybe one day I'll I'll discover all of that. I don't I don't know. Um, let me ask you this: You mentioned that I I guess for you it's going to be pretty straightforward. You would say Noah's Ark is probably your your most sentimental item in your collection. Oh no, not at all. Oh okay. Um, well, let's let's get this story under underway. So the most sentimental piece that I have is a signed card. It has zero value beyond me, pretty much. Um, I have a Son of God card signed by Rob Anderson, and that's to me has the most sentimental value. There's cards that I think are super cool and pieces of memorabilia that I have that are awesome, like the Ark and other things like that. But uh, it's Rob's game and we wouldn't all be here in this community and we wouldn't be here on this podcast and we wouldn't be doing it if it wasn't for Rob having the idea, you know, all those years ago to bring a game to market for a Christian alternative to the other games that are out there. And so I had a chance at a tournament in nationals and I don't remember what year it was. I think it was probably 2006, um, sorry, uh, 2007 in Kansas city. And I had him sign a copy of son of God. Uh, so that is the item in my collection that has the most uh, sentimental value. Nice. Nice. Let me ask you this. What artwork is it for son of God? It is the, um, Oh, I don't know how to describe it. It's the like blue, like halo of light, like lamp post type thing um, okay. art. I think that is like the best art on Son of God. I mean, we've got three different pictures on Son of God now. If you look at the um, the dude on a horse, um, that art, uh, the blue light art, and then you've got the uh, uh, I think it's Gustave Dore art um, with Jesus uh, holding the cross there up above a bunch of like angels and things. Um, from the IJ starters originally. So I think we've got three different pieces and uh, the the blue one is by far my favorite. So that's actually, it's why my 2016 Son of God is still in pretty good condition because I don't play it because I play the 2018 version that was the, the blue art, full art. That's the version that I play in most of my decks. Um, but the version that is signed is, is the blue um, and it is uh, from GH starters maybe. Uh, maybe CD starters. I don't remember exactly which which print version it is, and um, I don't have that one like tucked away in a place where I know exactly where it is either, so I couldn't grab it to tell you. Okay, that's that's fair enough. Um, that is pretty cool, and and rightfully so about Rob Anderson and and the fact that he created the game and whatnot. I think that would be be pretty cool to uh, have something like that. Um, just to go down the rabbit hole a little bit, because I know he's been at nationals before and things of that nature for people that have no idea about that. What is he like as a person? Is he pretty cool? Oh yeah. Rob's super cool. Um, it's been a couple of years since I've seen Rob, uh, just with COVID and, um, his schedule with shows and other things like that. It's been a couple of years since I've seen Rob, but I always enjoy hanging out with Rob. Um, Rob is a very generous individual rob is uh, very laid back easy to talk to um just a real i mean he's just a good guy i mean so many people in the redemption community you could use just the same words to describe him um he's he's fun he's upbeat he's energetic he's 
he's just a fun individual to be around um, and loves God. And that's the most important part. He loves God. That's what matters at the end of the day. So that's pretty cool. And I think I saw that he potentially is planning to be at Nationals or someone mentioned that. As of right now, my understanding is that he plans to be at Nationals. Um, That's part of the reason that the July date was chosen this year, because it was a week that worked uh, for Rob to attend when uh, Nationals was in the planning stages. Now, obviously, Rob's schedule can change pretty easily and something could come up or or, you know, the pandemic, we know we might get this Omicron 2.1A or whatever variant we're going to be on in three months time. And, you know, so much can change between now and then. But as of right now, I believe my understanding is that Rob plans to be at Nationals. Sweet. It'll be definitely a bonus for getting to meet him. Um, so I guess we'll roll over to you, Chad. And I know you sold most of your, your things or whatnot, so you can answer this for your current collection or anything that you've collected through your journey of collecting redemption. But what would be the one thing that holds the most sentimental value for you that you've you've had in your collection, either currently or previously before you sold? So two things off of that. Um, I should clarify, I actually did not sell most of my collection. Um, an air card collection, it's pretty small even though mine was fairly large compared to what a lot of other collectors have had. So I still have most of my collection. I sold less than 20 items is what it was. Oh, okay. Um, that's, yeah, that's... it was it was really small. So it was a, a very valuable small collection, but it was, yeah, I think it was altogether, actually 13 items is what I sold total. Um, so it wasn't that much. So I have most of it. And the most memorable, most meaningful thing to me is, it's a tie. It's my Warriors King of Tyrus, and then my uh, full art version of Michael, the Nationals promo. Um, The one that's full art, the 2021 isn't, so I think it was 2017. And the reason is, when I was a little kid, and I was playing Redemption, those cards, mainly King of Tyrus, but the Michael one just looked super cool. They were dominant, and I never thought I would own them. I, I just I didn't have money for stuff like that as a kid. And so when I got those in 2019, that was pretty cool to own those cards. Well, that's cool. Um, I definitely remember going to not, not Redemption Tournament because obviously I was an adult when I got into that, but... I remember getting talked into going to a Yu-Gi-Oh tournament when I was in middle school. And I was like, I, I had just bought a starter deck that had a blue eyes, white dragon. I was like, okay, I'm, I'm the stuff now. I have the card and I showed up and the first round I got paired with this like older guy, like you could tell he had dropped money and he, he ends up playing and he's got like three blue eyes, white dragon, blue eyes, ultimate dragon, all of this. And he's like fusion summoning. And basically he beat me and, it took him about 30 seconds to do so. So <laughs> I definitely know what that feeling is when you're on the side of the table. And, and, like, I realized I quit playing tournaments. Like, I still played with friends and stuff before I completely got out of all of that. But I acknowledged in that moment that you don't go to tournaments and be competitive when you don't have money. So I was like, I'm not going to any more tournaments. And so I remember I got married, and my brother-in-law taught me into buying some Yu-Gi-Oh cards because I had previously played, and he knew that. And we went to a tournament, and I had spent a little bit of money. My wife would say a lot of money. 
and I had built up this deck, and I went and played, and I was competitive, and I was like, okay, this is what it feels like, and then I never played again. <laughs> like, I just, I, I didn't hold my interest or whatnot, so I ended up just giving my cards to my brother-in-law for Christmas one year, because uh, he, he would ask, like, I, I stuck them on top of the fridge, and they were in a, uh, a box, and he would come over to the house, he's like, you ever going to do anything with those? No. And then, like, three years later, I just gave them to him for Christmas, because I... It was better than spending money on something. <laughs> so I saved some money and, you know, helped him out. But um, I, I, I think def- that's one of the I'm going to jump in here, John. I think that's one of the beauties of uh, of redemption, though, is I mean, we're talking tonight, obviously, about um, some crazy dollar figures that some people are going to listen to this podcast and be like, whoa, these guys are Looney Tunes. And uh, maybe I'm never going to play this game because that's crazy. You don't need to drop money on this game to be uh, a player, even at a um, semi-competitive level, quite frankly. I mean, it is very accessible. Now, some cards, yeah, are going to be a little bit more expensive. And if you want to be highly competitive, you're going to have to spend a little bit of money on Lost Souls, Dominance, uh, staple-type cards, things like that. But even those have fairly decent replacements. I mean, Starter Decks get you Son of God, Angel, um, Martyr, I think is going to come back in popularity this year. I think we'll see some shifting away from banding back to strong single hero rescues. So there's three of your Dominance right there. You can pick up a copy of NJ uh, for a relatively good price. A second Coming's a little bit more expensive, but you can get an NJ, which does the job almost as well for a mid-level player um so you can get that for a really decent price you can flesh get out it with a new starter decks too yep you know get it with the ij plus starter decks as you're starting there so i mean you can you can be a a mid-level competitive player without sinking a ton of money into this game and you you really can uh the barrier to entry is not that hard the barrier to entry for high level competitive is a little higher um, but, uh, the barrier to be a competitive player is not high in this game. And I think that's awesome. Yeah. I also think that with the conscious effort to make meat lost souls playable from the design team, um, that, and meek heroes and things of that nature, a lot of that makes it more accessible because even if you just grab your starter deck and you get a couple of cards that support meek heroes, the meek heroes in the starter deck can kind of fill a need you don't necessarily have to have the fancy flip cards the ultra rares you can work up to that and then the meek souls it seems like with some of the cards that have been spoiled from goc starting to ship and whatnot like meek souls is definitely going to be playable so definitely lowers that financial curve oh yeah for sure so i guess um what what would you guys say so if someone was listening to this and it kind of piqued their interest to want to collect something because, and I, I guess I'll circle back to a point that you made. I think Chad, you mentioned having a frog demon card, like a variant or something. Was that, was that right? Yeah. Yeah. Frog demon air card. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. Well, my buddy that was on the podcast a couple, a few weeks ago, Bobby fears, uh, who is Archon. Um, I think his, his little thing, he apparently, like on his Discord, his one his one answer or one one word on his Discord, like where you can put your bio, is Ribbit, and he's got like the frog demon image. So mm-hmm. he would probably be really interested in seeing that. So maybe maybe we could get a picture of that. Just I remember thinking about it, like he would like that, and I didn't I didn't bring it up in the moment. Um, but if we have somebody that you know their interest has been peaked and they want to get into redemption collecting, what do you think is the best? 
path to jump in and start collecting. Um, if they were, you know, wanted to go on, you know, that path of chasing down the error cards and variants and things of that nature. And then also, I guess we can talk about the promo. So we'll let John talk about maybe some promos and Chad, you can do the error path. Okay. Yeah. So let's say someone, I, one thing I'd say is if someone wants to collect the error cards, collect redemption first. I just want to clarify that. Collect the regular cards. Don't go for the air cards right away. If you're new to the game and you're just getting in it, collect the regular cards. And the other thing I'll say is start playing the game. One of my biggest regrets is that when I started collecting, I didn't start playing right away. Um, I put so much energy into collecting. And now that I love playing so much, I really wished I'd spent more time playing. The best part of Redemption is playing the game. It's way better than collecting. Um, it's far more satisfying, far more enjoyable. You build more relationships with the community that way. And that's what the game is all about. Um, but let's say you've got someone that's been collecting Redemption. They've got a substantial collection of the regular cards and they want to do the error cards. Uh, the first thing is you need to figure out what's out there. And the way to do that, I posted on Discord a list that Jesse uh, I, I always say his last name wrong. I think it's Foresto or something like that. And he put it together. Get a list like that. Figure out what there is and then make a plan of what you want to get. Like what matters to you? Because here's the thing. No one's going to get all of them. Um, the one guy I know who has most of them, he's missing the two that Jesse has, the Pharaoh and the Angel of the Lord. So I don't think anyone's going to get all of them, but maybe find one. Like let's say you just want to get the Angel of Sure. Figure out who has it and then just let them know. Um, the advice I got from Soul Seeker, which I thought was great, is he's like, just put a bug in their ear because you never know what'll happen. That's how he built his. He's like, it might take a couple of years, but they might run into something in life where they want to sell and then you'll be the one they reach out to. Um, so if anyone wants to know that info, I have some of that info of who has what, and I'd be happy to share that. And I'd ask the people first if they're okay with me sharing it. But that's kind of what you got to do because it is limited who has that stuff. And so it's kind of a waiting game. Just be patient on it for the error cards. Variants are easier. Um, just get the list and then start finding them. They're not really expensive. The variants are pretty cheap to get. Um, the C&D deck, the Apostles. Even like now, the, a variant is the Lost Souls from like Cloud of Witnesses and Revelation. Or not Revelation, John. I think Cloud of Witnesses and Persecuted Church. They didn't have the identifiers. Well, now they have them. Getting stuff like that isn't all that high cost to do. Um, so that'll be my advice as far as the air card side goes. Yeah, I mean, I think Chad is really onto something there that just just play the game. Like, I'm all about collecting stuff. I think it's cool if you want to be all about collecting stuff. I think that's cool too. Um, but I think I think playing the game is what has to come first. Um, the easiest way, you know, you asked about uh, asked me to talk about promos, John. If you're into collecting those, I mean, honestly, if you're just coming in and and the easiest way to start would be just just win them, you know, Al Davis style, just win baby. Um, and, uh, that'll start you off with, you know, 2022 or 2023 promos. And you'll have a set of those. If you can, you know, win a set, that'll be the easiest way, uh, to get them. Otherwise it is going to, it is going to be some money. Um, you know, if you're at nationals, I find a lot of times we miss, um, you know, we being the people that 
kind of track and follow this stuff, we miss some of the initial changing of hands because I think they do change hands a little bit at nationals. Uh, you know, if somebody wins and especially if somebody wins like multiple categories or something like that and picks up multiple sets, that's when you see them move hands. And a lot of times they'll move hands pretty quick at nationals. And then there's always post nationals a sell-off from somebody. Either Derek got his hands on some copies and sells them, or uh, Chris gets his hands on some copies from people, and he does a bidding or something like that. That's happened a couple of years. Um, Josiah Beers, uh, one year, won like six categories, and he sold a bunch right after Nationals and got some good value for him. Um, but if you don't strike while the iron's hot on a year-to-year -year basis on those, you're going to have a tough time with promos. They don't move hands uh, frequently, in in my opinion, from what I've seen. They typically don't move hands you know, after a couple weeks after nationals, um, cause the prices are there and no one that has them wants to part with them. Uh, they've either got their one copy for their collection. If they're a collector of any, you know, kind, or they won them and don't want to part with them because they're cool. So you have to strike while the iron's hot to get the new promos that are going to roll out, you know, this year. And if we continue to do it, which I don't know, I don't know why we wouldn't, I don't know that we have plans to not do them, but, um, you know, on a year to year basis, your best bet is to win or strike with the irons hot. As far as getting the 2016 to 2021 promos, the ones that are already out there, um, I would start with uh, covenantgames.com and look at the tournament history and identify the players that, you know, had copies at one point and see if you can track them down and get them from them and reach out to those individuals and say, hey, man, you won uh, Nationals uh, Type 1 two-player in 2017 and uh, you don't play anymore. Uh, do you still have the cards? Any interest in selling them? Um, and, uh, and just see. Um, I mean, that guy's off to Milan, so, you know, I think it'll be, you know, you could probably get them off of him, but... Um, I think that's going to be your best bet for the older promos there. As far as other types of collecting, you know, memorabilia and things like that, you just kind of have to decide what you're about as a collector. Do you want to go after a set of pogs like Chad did? Do you want to find some art like I did? Do you want to, you know, call up Doug Gray and see if he has any pieces left? I think Gabe actually bought a couple of pieces of art off of uh, Doug at Nationals in 16 as well. So I don't know if he has any left or not, but he might. So, I mean, it'd be worth reaching out to. I have a, uh, you know, artist that I've tried to track down a couple different times and just haven't gotten very far because I haven't dedicated a ton of time Mark to it. Mark Poole. Uh, no, not Mark uh. Poole. Uh, Tim Maloney did the art for Charred Vine um, in the original set or profit set, maybe, I don't know. This thing doesn't have a set icon on it, so it's, it's old. Um, and I picked this card up out of a box of, uh, cloud of witnesses. Um, no, uh, prophecies of Christ. Um, I picked up it up out of a box of prophecies of Christ at nationals in 2019 in Tennessee. Rob was selling boxes, um, at the tournament that had special things in them. Um, and basically every box had its normal ultra rares and then had like a special card and a play test card, which we didn't talk near enough about tonight because those are super rare, super rare to get your hands on play test cards. Um, 
signed cards from you know the original sets of artists i know there's others out there besides my charred vine that, that players have um, but so anyway i've tried to track down tim maloney a couple different times to see if he has his charred vine artwork so i can do something similar to uh, what i've done with the doug gray pieces um, so you just kind of back to my main point you just kind of have to decide what you want to collect and then find people that have it or uh, find that stuff out there i just googled uh for reference um it's on amazon you can buy a copy of redemption player's guide on amazon used for four dollars and 75 cents so if you decide hey that you want that piece of redemption memorabilia that one's easy <laughs> go to amazon for most things you can go to amazon including redemption amazon carries pretty much everything um speaking of the guy that did that artwork you you never established any type of contact with him at all like I said, I really didn't try very hard. I like Googled his name a couple of times. Like I just, I haven't tried hard. I'd like to, um, I'd like to get that done. Um, but who knows if the dude even exists anymore, if he even still has the original piece, if he'd even be inclined well, to sell it. I can tell you that I can give you his address and his phone number right now. If you want it, you He's... have the, you have the address and phone number, Tim Maloney, just sitting in your phone. <laughs> No, I, I've I've gotten on the I've gotten on the computer. You know I'm dangerous with a computer now. I can I'm I'm actually looking at his location, like his I, I guess this is his studio, his house, um on satellite image on Google. That's creepy, dude. We should like, it, it just showed up in the it's it's on his website, man. We should, I, we I didn't should, do we anything. We should probably edit this part out. Yeah. That's I creepy. I didn't I didn't do anything except for type in his name, artist, and it brings up his website. You go to contact us, and apparently he wants you to see where he's at on a satellite image. Ugh. Under contact don't, us. Don't hack me, Hendrix, please. <laughs> I'm scared now. But I use Firefox still. Take mercy. <laughs> You're gonna need to get the plug in for security. Yeah. Okay, uh, that's uh, fine. Uh, so I, back on back on. Uh, I just wanted to chime in a bit because I was focused totally on the air cards, but on I do have some helpful stuff on getting promos and some stuff like that. Um, there's a redemption retailer who isn't quite in the limelight as much as they used to be, but. Three Lions Gaming has a lot more of the collectible stuff. In fact, Derek at Your Turn Games, he'd admit that. But Ken and Travis before Ken, they focus more on that stuff. If you want to get 2016 through 2020, actually probably 2019 promos, Ken has a lot of those for sale. I'm looking right now, 2016, 2017, and 2018 Angel Lord promos, 50 bucks a piece he has for sale on his site. He has a lot of those. He doesn't have the Son of God, but... A lot of the other uh, promos for those years aren't that expensive. This year, 2021, they jumped way up in price. But for 2016 through 2020, the non-Son of God, uh, those aren't that expensive. And between Ken and Your Turn Games, a lot of them are available for sale on there. Um, so that's one thing on the promos, uh, easier than hunting down people. And then the other thing is uh, Ken has some other collectible stuff. Like I know he has some uncut sheets for sale. As far as playtest sets go, I think he sold some of the ones he has, but he might still have some playtest cards available. Um, so he just check in with him. He's got some stuff that is pretty unique for sale at Three Lions Gaming. Okay, well, let me ask you this. Since it's been brought up here, I know we're at the tail end of the conversation and we're wrapping up, but 
play when you say play test cards. So we've seen Chris and and Gabe share their play test cards, and they're either it looks like Gabe's are more they're cut out their own card stock. What what do you what do you mean or describe what you mean by play test card? Oh yeah, oh no no versus no. Versus what are, we see. Yeah, we are not talking about those when we talk about play test cards. Those are paper proxies. Uh, I can speak very intelligently on this. Um, so we have all of the images for the set uh, that we're testing. So right now it's GOC. Um, and we take those images and we put them on a PDF file that is eight cards on a page and we print them out as paper pages, um, either from our own home printers burning through ink like crazy, or we go to like a Staples or a Clinko's or something. Or if you're cool, like Gabe and Chris, uh, they use their church printers and do it. Um, they're high tech fancy church printers and do it there. Um, I've actually had both those guys print me sets from their church printers and mail them to me because it's like way easier than trying to do it myself sometimes. Um, and so those are printed paper proxies that's what we use nowadays to test back in the the heyday the very original things rob produced playtest cards that were basically um cardboard pieces they were actual cards that were printed out with no art on them uh very basic black and white um you know brigade identified by name on them things like that um because the game was much, much simpler and you could do that. So these cards were produced and you can find them for uh, the original stuff. You can find them for profits and women. Um, if you are lucky, you can even find some for warriors. Um, I believe that practice fell out of favor around, you know, apostles and patriarchs. And you really can't find them for that. But for the original sets, um, if you know the right people or talk to the right people, you can get original playtest cards from when the game was being created that look and feel like a physical card a physical redemption card they are not tournament legal obviously um and they are like black and white they're super cool um chris baney i should see if i can buy this off of chris uh chris baney has a framed piece in his uh, office i don't know if it's still in his office it was when last time i was there at his house um that has every printing of son of god that we've ever done including an original son of god playtest card that's a cool piece that does sound really cool and i wouldn't even definitely i would if he was here i bet that would be probably the most sentimental for him but how rare do you think a playtest card of the original son of god uh incredibly i mean i mean we're talking like angel of sure level of rarity just because none of those guys like are around anymore there might be a dozen of them floating around but none of those guys are around the only ones that are still around are rob and chris you know brian's been out of it forever uh doug gray's been out of it forever Corey lentine he's been out of it forever i mean just none of those guys are around so like yeah you could track them down and maybe they still have their old play test stuff maybe okay well that's pretty cool uh Definitely not what I was thinking when you said playtest cards, and I'm thinking of what Chris and Gabe have been sharing and what I have done, you know, as far as proxy. I think all of us have probably, you know, whether it's illegal or not, printed a, a copy of a redemption card to uh, to proxy and whatnot. And that's what what I was thinking. You were you were talking about them being highly collectible, and I'm like, what? I'll just make me one. No. <laughs> so so definitely definitely not what I was thinking. Um, so I guess we'll wrap this up and 
I guess one one final question I would I would ask you guys is obviously you've you've been maybe Chad you're you're a little bit more of an aggressive in a smaller time frame but John you've been involved in the game for what 20 years at this point and obviously you didn't build this collection and everything that you have overnight you didn't go and drop you know here's you know $5000 on everything that I have it's it's something that you work on over time what do you guys think would be some advice for like somebody that wants to collect but to do it in a more sustainable way to where you balance out enjoying the game and collecting to where like you know Chad you mentioned that you wish you had spent more time playing the game when you were starting out and aggressively collecting so what do you think uh some advice there or do you have any advice for how to do it in a sustainable way definitely um I'll, I'll start off I have a couple thoughts on that mainly because I had times where I didn't do it in a sustainable fashion. So the first thing is figure out if you're single and not married and don't have kids, figure out what you make and how much you can spend on redemption. And if you really want to start collecting, probably make that the only thing you spend money on as far as hobby goes that you spend major money on, you know, because it's not cheap if you really want to collect, even let's say, you just want to get one of each playable card. That's not going to be cheap to do. So decide if that's something you really want to invest in, if it's something you can afford, especially if you have a wife and kids and you know, you've got a family. Really talk it over with your wife and figure out if that's something you can do. I'll be honest, when I first started collecting, I wasn't totally upfront with my wife about everything <laughs> that I was going to be spending money on. And that, that wasn't, it wasn't good. She was gracious with me. And I didn't go off the rails because I was smart in how I collected. And that's what I want to get to next. Collecting in a sustainable fashion means being patient, not trying to get everything right away, not just going on to your turn games and buying a complete set of everything. Uh, that is not the way to go. Wait. On the forums, there's a decent amount of people that end up selling out of the game or they sell a significant part of their collection. They sell it way cheaper than Three Lions Gaming Your Return Games ever would. And so let's say you're just trying to collect one of each card, do some stuff like that. Um, buy boxes. It's way cheaper to buy boxes value-wise because you're getting... I should clarify that. For the newer sets, meaning the ones where there's two ultra rares guaranteed per box. For the older ones, like Cloud of Witnesses, Revelation of John, where you weren't guaranteed, I think it's still cheaper. But buy boxes and get cards and trade and have fun with that and make it more of a process that's sustainable. Um, I, when I first got in three lions gaming had a thing when, uh, Travis was there where you could buy an entire set of every redemption card, one of everything except for the national promos. And I almost did that. I am so glad I didn't do that. That would have been the biggest mistake ever. Um, because it's fun to collect bit by bit and build your collection over time. There is definitely something to be said for the, like the feeling of just like opening packs and getting things. I think we all had a ton of fun with Derek and his GOC uh, spoilers that he did for us the other night. I mean, that was awesome. And there's just the feel of that as you're getting into it, even for Angel Wars. You know, you can open Angel Wars and have that feel as you see some super cool cards. Because I disagree with Hendrix. Some of the art isn't horrible. I think the Morgue art is actually pretty decent. And that's an ultra rare. And, and he looks awesome. Um, so like 
there's just some about that feel. Um, I totally echo what Chad said. My wife called me. I was at work when I made the PayPal transfer to Travis that was over $800 for all the stuff I bought from him. And my wife called me and said, uh, honey, what are you doing? And I was like, no, no, no it's cool. It's one of a kind. <laughs> and, she, and my wife is super awesome, super gracious and, and gets it to a degree, but she was not happy with me. Uh, and rightfully so. It was an insane amount of money to spend, but it's, it's unique. It's one of a kind. And the opportunity wasn't going to come up again for it. So yeah, got to strike with the iron's hot. Yeah. So I would definitely say that, um, that that's some good advice. And both of you gave, a story where you did not, you were not upfront with your wives and it, I guess, turned out okay for both of you, but I would just like to go ahead and let the listeners oh, I, know. I, I slept on the couch. Oh, no, no, no. I, <laughs> right. I, I, I slept on the couch that night. Okay. Uh. Well, I just would like the listeners to know that as the host of The Threshing Floor, I am going to say that we, as a collective group, are suggesting that you are upfront with your spouse <laughs> and you do not... Do not do not send her after us. Go to episode sixteen. They said it was okay. We're not saying it's okay, guys. Take your time, be patient, and talk with your wife, um, because she'll pull the trigger. I already said that she'll she'll get you. Um, so we'll go ahead and wrap the wrap up the conversation there. Definitely learned a lot about things that I wasn't as aware as aware of. I think when it comes to redemption, like the error stuff, I had heard of the angel. Um, error cards. I didn't know that there was only three of them, but I knew that it was pretty expensive. Obviously, I know about the promos because that's what I'm targeting to collect. But hopefully you guys got some information about things that maybe you didn't know existed, and maybe you got a an idea of where to start if you want to jump into collecting. Like John said, on Amazon, you can go ahead and buy that um, player's guide for $4, and your $4 maybe plus some shipping to be into your redemption collecting. That's a cheap way to start out. Uh, So thanks for joining, and we'll go ahead and end it here. Peace. All right, that's going to do it for this week's episode. That's number 16. And I just want to thank you, as always, for listening. I want to thank John and Chad for coming on and sharing some of their insight into the area of collecting the game and some of the items that they've you know, I had passed through their hands or maybe still have and whatnot. So definitely want to thank them for coming on. Thank you guys for listening and we'll do it all again next week. Enjoy GOC phase one. Peace.